What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Dish Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all of support and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform. And make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're loving the Deep Dish Conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. Judge Jones, how you doing? Good morning. I'm good. I'm good. Welcome to the platform. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. And I guess it's afternoon now. I didn't realize. So good afternoon. You know, it's, I, good. it's morning somewhere. Yeah, I appreciate the invitation. <laughs> no, I, I. what I like about this new, this digital technical age is that you can just reach out to your local, like, elected, well, um, voted in judges um, where maybe, you know, 20, 30 years ago, that just wasn't the case or people may have felt intimidated like oh he or she is a judge maybe I can I can I can I can I email them can I can I talk to them you can you can <laughs> and then depending on you know how on top of it they are or how right. removed they are you might have heard back from him even might, it might not have right so I always ask my assistant to respond to everybody as soon as possible and um, try to juggle everything that I do in addition to job and volunteer work in the community and right. church work and board work right yeah no i i, I want to get into the little a little of that uh, as well just being just a resident you know being an everyday community member and then like being like a very powerful decision maker and just that balance right because i'm sure people family friends peers <laughs> uh, just come up to you and ask you about professional stuff that maybe, uh, you know, they probably should be just randomly asking you about. Yeah, sometimes we can't respond. Right. We, we have a, a judicial conduct canons that we're supposed to follow, mm -hmm. and so we can't answer questions about specific cases. And um, we can't always give our personal opinions, even though you would think everybody has free speech rights. Um, judges yeah. have to be very careful how they answer anything. Right, right. Well, I have a really easy question that you can answer right now um, just tell us a little bit about who you are a little bit about your background for people who may not be familiar um, and maybe some stuff that people just can't google okay <laughs> so my name is Linda Jones and it's L-Y-N-D-A which is a little bit different than everybody else I've been on the bench for seven years been a licensed attorney for 30 years and uh, I decided I wanted to go to law school when I was 17 years old I was in a mock trial competition at the Sullivan County Courthouse and my business law teacher was Mr. Jenkins and I fell so in love with the whole concept of trial litigation. We'd just gotten through reading some James Baldwin novels mm. and To Kill a Mockingbird mm. and then we had a, a criminal defense trial that we were mocking and enacting, reenacting and so I was the defense attorney and there's nothing that was more exciting than feeling that that smooth wood rail that had been worn down for years and years because we we had a historic courthouse the courthouse is still standing courtrooms no longer there and then that jury rail because there's so much history mm. of jury trials and case law and then the moment i received an acquittal verdict for my defendant and i got goosebumps from my fingertips to my toes and i went i want to go to law school Wow. And that was it, that moment. And I'm, I feel lucky because a lot of people don't know what they want to do when they're 17 years right. old. Right, no, no. Yeah. I, I, would, I thought I would want to the NBA, but <laughs> here we are. <laughs> um, where, where did you grow up? 
So I was born in Ohio. Okay. And then my parents moved to East Tennessee when I was a kid. My dad was in the racing business. Oh, wow. Um, you know, the Bristol Dragway and Raceway up there. Okay. So I grew up around race cars my oh. whole life, and I love fast cars. And when I was a kid, I was a little bit of a tomboy. I had a spark plug collection, <laughs> and I really wanted my dad to buy me a race car. And he was like, well, number one, no. And number two, I can't afford it because, you know, racing. <laughs> is expensive yeah and uh, but I loved being around cars and I got kind of got used to being around male dominated anything because mm-hmm. racing was male dominated right. and then college was 50 50 there was guys and girls law school was male dominated and right. you know legal professions male dominated right so I just kind of got used to you know guy stuff right um, do you still do you go fast today Are you um, a fast driver so I'll take the Fifth Amendment on that one, and uh, I do look at the speed limit. I do look at the traffic around me, and I can tell you that a majority of the time, I stay under 70 miles an hour. Okay. Yes. On, on occasion, I might go over 70 very briefly. Just briefly. Briefly. I know. Um, so growing up, crazy story. I would see NASCAR specifically as far as race car driving or just racing as a sport. And, you know, I was just you know, going in circles like, okay. But it wasn't until um, it was a few years back, my cousin, one of my older cousins, took me to Talladega ah. to a, like a real race. Mm-hmm. Then I understood like, oh, it's an event. Mm-hmm. Like you can't, like you have to be there and it's a whole show. And then I, you, you then you started to find out and learn about the point system and then when the drivers really start competing like mm-hmm. towards the end of the race and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So uh, I would encourage anybody, if you sleeping on NASCAR, race car driving, uh, go to a race and then come talk to me. Well, and I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to say go to a drag race. Drag race, okay. Because that's a little different than NASCAR. Okay. And um, so I I was not a big NASCAR fan, even though we had the Bristol Speedway and mm-hmm. pretty much in my backyard. Um, drag racing is where you, you know, speed on a one-quarter mile. Mm. And it's two cars racing against one another and racing against the lights and the photocells at the starting line. Right. And so Bristol has the Thunder Valley Dragway. Uh. I can remember the announcer. His name was Bill Shirk. He was from Indianapolis, Ohio, um, Indianapolis, Indiana. He recorded all the commercials, and he would talk about Thunder Valley Dragway, <laughs> Thunder Valley Dragway. I mean, very magnificent and bold and over-the-top. So my dad one time tried to scare me away from wanting to have a car when mm-hmm. I grew up. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll let you go down the track in Mr. Denton's Pro Stock. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Mountain Motor Pro Stocks were over 600 cubic inches and you know unlimited horsepower there was no cap on the horsepower right and so he had his tech director buckle me into the passenger seat which is just a roll cage Mm -hmm. and then there's a shell a fiberglass shell and then you have a parachute in the back you have to wear a helmet for safety and so we did 180 miles in a quarter mile wow and when you pull the parachute at the finish line the car actually skates and pulls up off the ground and just kind of floats in the air and the parachute is what's slowing it down it's the coolest feeling in the world so i got out of the car um you know ran back up to the tower Mm -hmm. and my dad was up in the tower and he goes how was it you know he's really smug because he thought he had scared me Uh uh-huh i was like oh my gosh it it was great there's just one problem and he goes what what's the problem i said it was too slow (laughs) Can I have a dragster? Because, you know, those goes 300 mile an hour. Right. right? But um, the funny thing is, I was actually joking about the speeding earlier. The older I get, 
the cars I appreciate now aren't necessarily the fast cars. Mm-hmm. They're the comfortable cars. Right. Like, you know, something that has a smooth ride. Right. I'm getting a little older, and I want a comfortable, smooth ride. Right. So um, I had an Oldsmobile Supreme when I was 16. Wow. And I would not exactly call that the most comfortable, smooth ride. <laughs> but it was fun, and it was exciting. And uh, when I was 16, I might have broken the speed limit a couple of times. Well, you know. But you learn, and then you mellow out when you get older. Right. And then sadly, I, lo- I lost my husband in a vehicular homicide accident mm. where the other driver was going over 100. So I try to be right. lighthearted about speeding, but right. I actually do think it's important to follow the speed limits. Yeah, you know, so don't watch too much Fast and Furious. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. Um, you mentioned um, just always being around that kind of male-dominated mm-hmm. spaces, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how have you navigated that um, to the point now where you're judged and still in a, in a practice where it's still kind of male, white male-dominated? Mm-hmm. I think there's a combination of styles that, that women who are successful in a male-dominated profession adopt. Mm-hmm. So you can have a competitive style, which a lot of athletes do, and that works really well for them. Or you can have a cooperative style, and I think your style depends on the personality that you're dealing with. Right. Um, I know some men who very much respect cooperation and women who smile and nod their heads a lot. Right. And I think you have to learn the art of smiling and asking questions because right. just making declarative statements mm-hmm. is not accepted um, from women. Right. You know, we're always supposed to be subservient and right. ask permission. and. Right. You know, men are raised to just see something, go out, grab it, take it, hold no prisoners, just keep going. Right. And I think you need a combination of those things. And I think over time, you just kind of learn mm-hmm. um, what style will suit you best at different times. And then again, sometimes, you know, just being polite but firm right. works and right. uh, it's okay. And then as people get to know you and respect what you're accomplishing and know what you're really about, right. then the barriers kind of fall away. So I feel like when I was younger, there might have been a few barriers here and there. Mm-hmm. But if you um, you just stay consistent, work hard, do a good job, be honest, have integrity, then it kind of falls away. And right. I really don't feel like I have, um, you know, really a lot of discrimination as a woman right. I think every once in a while uh, a well-meaning patriarchal guy will try to give me some dad advice or <laughs> mansplain things to me right and um, you know I have to understand where he's coming from he thinks he's protecting me right, <laughs> and, right. and being chivalrous right and um, and that's okay I mean there's room for all kinds of different people mm-hmm. and now I have these wonderful colleagues that some of them are like brothers Mm -hmm. and they mean their advice in a brotherly way right some of them are very paternalistic like grandfathers right and they want to share their knowledge and they have great knowledge so um it's 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 a good place to be right now i think being a woman in a male-dominated profession is okay and i i say go for it if you're interested right no and i and and i'm glad you touched on that because again you know i can't speak on it right uh being a man but, you know, you see a, a, a lot of this woman movement happening, just not in the United States, but all over the world. Women are being liberated in just so many different ways mm-hmm. um, where they was kind of held back. But you also, I think, see, or you should be seeing men, too, as well, understanding, like, okay, well, we're equals. I don't have to 
talk to a woman a particular way or have this kind of mindset that um, that I'm superior in any type of way, form, or fashion, um, and kind of unlearning some things maybe um, as men we was conditioned or just taught to, um, to know or think about women that may be in the same positions as us, um, which I think is amazing. Um, and so it's good to hear that, like, and it should be changing, right? 30 years ago, it might have been a little different, but 30 years now, some of those barriers should start just falling away um, in these spaces and environments where men and women are both in should be um, less tension and less um, problematic <laughs> uh, when we're doing the same work, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, as your, Let's talk about um, your role as a general sessions court judge mm-hmm. uh, here in Nashville, um, because I'm sure um, Many of us, we, we shouldn't want to see you. <laughs> we should want to see you. So we probably don't know what happens in your courtroom. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about what goes on in your, your role and your daily kind of routine? Yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy to. First of all, I love my job. I love the variety. And um, it's, it's a wide variety. I have a nine-week rotation. Okay. I have 10 other colleagues. And we rotate different types of law on different weeks. So this week, for example, I'm on a criminal bond docket. So I will hear misdemeanor cases. I usually take plea agreements. Probably about 95% of the cases that come through the court system are pled out. Okay. And um, only about 5% end up having some kind of a trial. Okay. And the cases, the misdemeanors are things like driving under the influence or mm-hmm. criminal trespass or assault mm-hmm. or simple possession. Mm-hmm. and. So those, um, those are the bulk of what happens with people. I mean, most people are law-abiding citizen, and mm-hmm. if you think about it in the big scheme of things, criminal trespass versus murder, big difference. Right. There's a lot of criminal trespass. There's not a lot of murder. So um, we hear a pretty high volume, and we have a wide variety of people. We have people who move here and don't know what the laws are. Um, we have some people who are developmentally delayed and mm-hmm. don't even know what they're doing right. and then um, you know a, a host of other issues that can throw people into court right. um, a case that jumps into my mind is a young man whose girlfriend dumped him and so he was out drinking one night at a local establishment on Broadway he got a little too drunk mm-hmm. so he got picked up by the police and brought in and the guy normally is not somebody who um, you know, gets drunk like that. Right. But I think, you know, as humans, we understand your girlfriend just dumped you. Right. So, <laughs> you know, it happens. You're heartbroken. Yeah. yeah. And um, as long as you're not continually going out and doing that mm-hmm. and endangering other people. Right. Um, so I, I think some people just temporarily come through the court system when they're having a hard time in their life. Right. They might have lost their job, mm-hmm. and they might be behind on a debt. Right. So, for example, this week was our criminal bond docket. Next week, um, we have another criminal bond docket, but then we eventually come back to what we call our civil docket. So we hear lawsuits where creditors are attempting to collect bills under $25,000. And so that might be either an unpaid medical bill right. or it might be a credit card debt. Or it might be a contractor who has having a disagreement with a vendor about supplies. Mm-hmm. A lot of small businesses do come through the General Sessions Court. We have landlord-tenant cases that come through the courts. Right. And so there's a wide variety of civil. Then we have another rotation, which is called the Mental Health Docket, the MTMHI. 
and that's where people who have varying degrees of mental illness might have come off their medication or might be having a crisis right they're picked up and they're brought out to our mental health institute to kind of triage them to Mm -hmm. get them stable get their meds stable then try to get them some placement with a social worker who can help them cope and adjust and live independently right and then of course we have a very um normal traffic docket um, so we rotate from week to week, which keeps it really interesting, keeps a lot of variety. Right. And then our commercial, um, like our civil docket also has, we, we have some unusual jurisdiction on a couple of issues. So if, uh, if an apartment wants to evict someone who hasn't paid their residential rent, that case would hit. But if a commercial skyscraper wants to evict a business, from right. a commercial place that also comes through our court even though it's more than $25,000. So mm. we have unlimited jurisdiction and we have some really fascinating commercial leases that we try in the court because those leases are complex. Some right. of them are you know, 15 or 30 pages long and they have a different way they calculate the expense. Right. And then before Nashville really started growing and developing and really took off 20 years ago, there were some innovative leases that were created by then Mayor Bredesen mm-hmm. um, to incentivize people to grow businesses. Okay. And so, for example, the AT&T building has a little plaza out behind it. That plaza also bumps up against the back of 2nd Avenue. Mm-hmm. So a saloon was given a lease of that open plaza to have events to encourage customers to build sales revenue right but then as AT&T grew AT&T said you know what we don't want to lease out our plaza to a saloon anymore right so the case ends up in general sessions court so I've signed judgments for over a million dollars for possession of a commercial lease agreement and so lease agreements in particular have a special place in the law Mm -hmm. and an airplane lease or a dental equipment lease, um, things like that also wind up in general sessions. Wow. um, Which is fun, you know, adding to the variety. Right. Um, You can actually, if, if, uh, like, let's say a small commercial pilot business is leasing an airplane out to a corporation and they're going to have a dispute. Right. Well, they can come to general sessions court and ask for an injunction. We call that arresting the airplane. Okay. And, um, you know, the FAA is very familiar with that process. And so I will sign off an order, and the person who's bringing the suit has to sign a corporate surety bond, which is a little bit different than other bonds. Okay. And then they take that out, and they present it to the airport, and they go, okay, we're seizing the plane. Then they'll go over to Chancery Court across the street, and they'll argue about the plane. What are you going to do with it? So a higher court will decide. But it's fun to arrest the plane when you right. get to. <laughs> <laughs> and so, wow, that's a lot that happens. I hope everybody's paying attention to getting educated right now. <laughs> so I, I want to I backtrack because you said something. I want to backtrack on a couple of things because um, you walked us through a lot. Um, one of the things you mentioned is most people plea out. Mm-hmm. You said like 95% mm-hmm. plea out. Um, do you feel like that's a good thing for our criminal legal system for people, especially if they feel like they didn't do it, they, 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 they're, they're right. They feel like they're not wrong. Um, is that a good thing that 95% of people are saying, yeah, okay. Like, I, I'm going to say it depends. Okay. Okay. 
So for the people who are truly guilty mm-hmm. and, and they know they broke the law and they shouldn't have, right. just kind of owning up to it and accepting responsibility and accountability, yeah, that's fine. That it, it saves a lot of time and mm-hmm. resources if people just go, yeah, I did it. Right. And um, it's done. But there are people who are not guilty of what they're accused of. And I would actually love to have more bench trials. Mm -hmm. I would love to have, instead of that plea agreement where somebody's charged with a higher offense that's negotiated down to a lower offense, I would rather have them have the trial. If the lawyer's confident in what his client is telling him, you know, I've had bench trials before where I've dismissed cases completely. And, um, you know, sometimes things aren't what appear what they seem. Sometimes police officers make mistakes. And that case just needs to be dismissed. Play devil's advocate. Okay. I'm not guilty. Mm-hmm. But I'm. But I'm poor. Mm. I don't have the money. Um. To pay a lawyer, mm-hmm. um, or my appointed attorney. You know, the resources have ran out for what they can do for me. Mm-hmm. Um. But I'm not guilty. I didn't do this offense mm-hmm. that I've been charged with. Mm-hmm. What? What what can I do? <laughs> so I'm gonna say again that depends. You're right. Okay. Um, but the, how that that this the, how that factors into mm-hmm. people pleading mm-hmm. possibly. Well, I understand that. Okay, because I did criminal defense work for about six years out of my 30 year legal career, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's very sometimes it is difficult to prove. Um, you know everything that's being alleged and right. defended and uh, evidence or witnesses are not available right and so that's where having a good attorney and who's familiar with the court system comes into play mm-hmm. there are good public defenders there are good private appointed attorneys mm-hmm. and i think the key is that the attorney interviews their client very thoroughly and checks out the story completely okay. if it's a dui that lawyer hops in the car and he drives over to the scene right. to see you know did it happen on a hill were there right. rocks is it even possible what the officers alleging right. um you know thoroughly checks out the story mm-hmm. and those attorneys are paid to do that work so there's right. no running out of resources there right. and um i think it's important also um sometimes officers may miscalculate a situation because of the lens with which they view it. And there may be, for example, a chivalrous, chivalrous, well-intentioned fella who might see two people in a car with marijuana Mm -hmm. and think, first off, well, the guy is the one who brought the marijuana to the car. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that might not be the case because there's lots of women out there that are, you know, bringing their own party. Right. And it's theirs. Mm -hmm. And the man just happens to be in the car. Right. So his, in this particular case I'm thinking of, his attorney brought the case and his attorney won the case. I found him not guilty. Right. Um, And that wasn't a matter of resources. It was a matter of just good lawyering and planning out the argument, listening to the client, presenting the evidence. Right. And just having a good fair trial. Okay. I have a I have a spicy question for you. Uh-oh. 
and then and then I want to get into some 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 um, some pandemic stuff that you kind of alluded to as far as with tenants and uh, leases mm-hmm. and housing. Mm-hmm. Do you feel there could be a conflict of interest when judges, when a judge is appointing me my attorney? I don't get to pick the judge. The same judge is going to preside over my case mm-hmm. gets to also decide if I'm indigent, my attorney. Not immediately. It doesn't seem like a conflict. Okay. But it it could be a conflict sometimes. Okay. And I think what is important to know, um, different judges have different standards for attorneys they appoint. Okay. Um, for example, I put together a packet and I tell attorneys what I expect. And as far as a thorough interview, I provide them with a form that allows me to get their medical information, not me, their attorney to Mm -hmm. get their medical information, their school history. Mm -hmm. Um, also, um, their mental health history because their school records could show they might've been developmentally delayed. Right. And um, I don't know how many judges do that. Um, I think some judges just want to give everybody a turn, and I don't do that. Okay. Um, if it's ever brought to my attention that somebody is not following the booklet and the procedures that I placed out there, mm-hmm. then I won't appoint them again. Okay. And um, I've actually, it's a good question that you ask. I had somebody come to my office and say, we think these certain private attorneys aren't working the cases. And I was like, who is it? Because right. I won't appoint them again. I right. need to know. Right. And to date, I haven't been given any names. I would love to have that list of lawyers who aren't doing a thorough interview mm-hmm. and aren't investigating their cases and aren't preparing their cases. Mm-hmm. So if you ever hear anything like that, I sure would want to be told. Right. Um, but as far as I know, and, and sometimes... If I think a lawyer's not working hard enough, he's not going to get an appointment. My court officer's sitting back here. He'll tell you we don't appoint sometimes. <laughs> but but no, I think that's I think that's good to hear because, as a judge, I'm pretty sure you hear some narratives too about poor uh, attorney for clients, especially those that might be appointed or those are um, maybe even from the public defender's office. Um, and you know, I've never needed an attorney. I hope I hope it never comes to that point. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the best way to to just ask a judge, like, hey, how do you all feel about that and your takes? Um, because we all know everybody can't can't get the high class attorney. We, we well, I'm and, gonna step in here and defend some of our public defenders. Okay, we have some really good public defenders. I agree. And um, I think, and there are a couple that you know they're human like everybody else. Right. So, like, a public defender who's been working for 15 years might be a little bit burned out, might Mm -hmm. be a little bit tired, and might make some assumptions about a case or Mm -hmm. a judge that they don't need to make. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's incumbent upon us judges to say, hey, don't assume that a judge ruled one way seven years ago is going to rule that way today Mm -hmm. because judges evolve just like lawyers evolve. Like, brand-new lawyers are a lot different than 20-year practicing lawyers. And judges who've been on the bench for a while, even after five years, um, I don't know if you've read any Malcolm Gladwell books, 
but no. uh, he, he's written a series <laughs> of books and he talks about having 10,000 hours under your belt oh, yeah. to develop an expertise in an area. Right. And so that's about four years and you are different from mm-hmm. day one than you are in year five. Right. And I think lawyers are as well. So I right. think it's a constant process. I think you constantly have to evaluate mm-hmm. yourself. You, you constantly evaluate the lawyers in front of you. The lawyers right. have to constantly evaluate. Mm-hmm. It's a very fluid moving thing and I think it's important to do it because people who are accused of crimes deserve justice, fairness, fresh mind, someone who thinks they're innocent, someone who fights hard. Right. That's very, very important. Right. And so it's it's constant. We always have to be doing the best we all can. No, and I and I and I and I agree. And if you're the same person, you know, going forward four years from now, then something's wrong. Like you need we we have to be intentionally trying to grow. Um and I think one of those ways how we grow is dialogue, asking questions, reading, um, making mistakes, right? Um, and reflecting on those mistakes, no matter what positions that we sit in in life and what we do in life. I think mm-hmm. there's just, cause we're gonna make mistakes as human beings. Yeah. And, I, and I think things happen also that change how your perspective is. Like mm-hmm. I can tell you uh, after losing my husband, after he was killed, mm-hmm. I, I thought I was a compassionate person, but I now know that once you feel that pain like that and that mm-hmm. loss, there's a poem I'll have to email you. There's a depth of compassion and that you have for other people's pain that right. you, you didn't have maybe prior to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of things that can happen along the way that change who you are and, um, and really important things. Right. Speaking of change, we're in a pandemic. Still, unfortunately, and I hope everybody out there is staying safe and masking up at least. If you don't get the vaccine, at least mask up. Um, but I encourage both. Um, how has the pandemic affected the courtroom as far as when it comes to homelessness, um, tenants, um, and uh, leasers, and that battle for? I don't have the money to pay because I can't go to work and it's not being subsidized and I don't even have to pay you because there's things in place now. But the tenant's like, hey, I mean, <laughs> I want to, not the tenant, but the um, owner's like, hey, I want money. I need to do other things. Um, how's all of that changed? Um, how things and the perspectives and outlooks um, in the courtroom today? A lot. It's sped up a lot of things. Criminal justice was slowly being reformed, very slowly, mm-hmm. pre prior to the pandemic. But the pandemic's actually sped a lot of things up that needed to happen anyway. Right. So one of the things was prioritizing, why are we really putting in people in jail? Um, mm-hmm. You know, there used to be a practice, if somebody missed court, they get a capius, which means there's a warrant, which means they're going to get picked up and tossed in jail. But when you have 400 inmates in jail with COVID, active mm. COVID cases, you got to be really careful about piling more people in there, right. because you're like, what are we really doing as a society? Are you know why are we putting people together who are going to get sick mm. and maybe potentially have health consequences and die? So you take away the pandemic question, and you're still left with the question: Why do we really use jail? Right. And so there was. A, a slow change in criminal justice 
which I think the pandemic, I always look for a silver lining everywhere. I think the pandemic sped up criminal justice reform in a good way. Mm-hmm. Because now, if somebody misses a court date, I'm gonna look at it and go, what's the charge? Right. Does this person really need to be in jail because they missed court? Mm-mm. So it, there's a big difference right. in a driver's license case and a aggravated assault with a deadly weapon case. Right. And like today, for example, we had snow and ice on the road. I understand somebody not making it to court when mm-hmm. there's snow and ice on the road. Now that doesn't mean I'm gonna accept that as a reason to miss court in June, right. but I sure might take it on January 20th. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. So I think the pandemics had us look at a lot of things. I okay. think another good thing that happened, um, we had just willy-nilly large dockets before the Mm -hmm. pandemic and now we limit the number of people that we actually schedule for trial on a given day and we don't want to have too many people in an enclosed space right so we we look at that and it makes the whole operation run a little more smoothly and then I think just as a society we're examining priorities right like is this person really hurting anyone with Mm. his action there may be a statute on the books but is it really hurting society right and then you know we look at violent crime and prioritizing that because we don't want people hurting other people right i think we have a lot more knowledge about mental illness and i think isolation and pandemics and the increase of stress and mental illness during when the country was completely closed down versus kids doing some online school versus now we're kind of hybrid back and forth has really made us look at the need for human connection and you know what are we really doing as a society so i think there's a lot of important questions that have been triggered that we're asking ourselves and we're asking it at all levels of government not just in the judiciary but in the prosecution side of things and the legislative side of things Mm -hmm. and i think the old corporate capitalistic private bail bond business has been changing across the country right. and um, people are just being a lot more focused on you know what really matters right bail is a big thing money bail cash bail <clears throat> is a is a is a hot topic um, I think especially since of what happened in Chattanooga um, with their bail with their bail system there um <clears throat> excuse me do you see more bail reform coming here um in nashville i do I do we we reformed our rules a couple of years ago in davidson county and i think there's a push for reform yet again mm-hmm. and i think part of what we do is what do we do with somebody that misses a court date right do we arrest them and have them post a bond Right. Is that really necessary? Right. Is it really? So um, I, I see more changes coming. Um, I see bonds being set for the really serious cases, like mm-hmm. aggravated robbery, where someone is really dangerous right. and has a history of missing court, going out, getting in trouble again. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing less requests for any kind of bond on minor stuff like criminal trespassing. Right. And you, you know, what's the purpose of bond? You have to look at that. You have to kind of unpack it. Right. Why do we have bond to begin with? Right. So there are a lot of questions that are important questions that mm-hmm. are being asked. 
in all the branches of government. So this, I want to see how you're going to take this right here. I've heard it three ways, three ways, criminal legal system, criminal justice system, criminal punishment system. Three ways. Mm -hmm. What do you think about justice? Um, what does that mean in our criminal system um, that we currently have today? So that's a loaded question. It is. And yeah. I want to I preface it this way, too. Yeah. Justice means something different for everybody. It's it dynamic. It does. I agree. And so, um, and I don't know if people ask themselves, like, what does justice mean to them um, enough? I don't think, I, I think it's this broad thing, right? Um, so I want to ask you, though. Mm -hmm. what so is, what? I think it's different for every individual. Mm -hmm. So justice can mean a pound of flesh to some people. Mm-hmm. But justice can also mean an apology and forgiveness and an empathy and an understanding for where the other person's coming from. Our juvenile courts have done a really great job with restorative justice. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, I would love to see that expand into our General Sessions Court, criminal okay. courts, for offenses between against people. Mm -hmm. um, because there's usually a reason. And I've seen that some people are pretty enlightened when they come into court and they've been mugged or burglared, right. burglarized, and um, they're pretty compassionate. I've seen, I saw a man one time who had lost his wife, and a young man in the neighborhood came and stole his lawnmower, and he said, I don't want to prosecute this kid. He, he probably needed the money, right. and, you know, I, I was just like, wow, you know, that's right. a pretty enlightened, loving person who understands where the kid is coming from. Right. And so justice in that case was he, he just wanted to dismiss the case. The victim asked. He said, mm. I, I just don't want to prosecute. I've seen people who've had other individuals break into their home and say, I don't want to prosecute him. I, I understand where he's coming from. So, so this is how I understand the law. I'm not a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Thought about it, but mm. <laughs> it's not the fact that I committed a crime against you is that I broke a statue of the Tennessee law. Mm -hmm. And so, as a judge, if I say, hey, Judge Jones, I do not want to prosecute this person mm -hmm. for, for this offense, mm -hmm. uh, not only to me, but breaking the laws of Tennessee. Mm -hmm. um, how does restorative justice, what, what, kind of, um, what kind of room do you have with the, the statutes that are in place mm -hmm. um, by law, by mm -hmm. Tennessee state mm -hmm. law, and kind of made what I want um, as, a, as a victim mm -hmm. and to be more restorative. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. So the state as a whole, our right. Tennessee General Assembly put together the laws, and they've been building them since, I don't know, 17-whatever, right. 1768, <laughs> and our, our Tennessee General Assembly now passes laws. And they're trying to pass laws that they think protect all the citizens of the state. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the laws do protect citizens, but sometimes they miss the mark a little bit. Okay. Um, because society evolves. Right. So I don't want to miss my point because I want to I want to make sure I'm answering everything. Um, so if, like for example, metropolitan government, we're a pretty big county here. Mm-hmm we can combine to bring restorative justice possibilities to the table. The DA can decide to participate. The uh, alleged victim can decide to, yes, they want to do that instead of the traditional criminal justice route following the statutes. Mm -hmm. 
and then the judge can decide you know yes or no I'll take it or not but if a victim and the state come forward and say they want to do this then why not let them right so I think the concern there's a lot of well-intentioned folks in the legislature that might just not be familiar with some of those concepts okay and those concepts might not apply in all situations for example if a mentally ill person shows up at your front door of your business and busted out you might understand that he didn't know what he was doing and mm-hmm. he didn't even realize he was busting out your door and hopefully you have insurance so you might not want to pursue him but the state of Tennessee is concerned that that person will go vandalize other businesses mm. so I think as knowledge is shared more information about the mentally ill is very important I think like about a third of, of people in jail right now have a mental illness um, it's a pretty high number wow. and we have some folks who are developmentally delayed who might not know how to express themselves very well right. and they don't intend to commit the crime you got to remember men's ray got to have intent right. to actually commit a criminal act right. some people don't have that so I think as we get more knowledge about mental illness how it's not just a it's not just a character failure it's a cognitive impairment and neurological condition with right. chemicals in your brain then perhaps we can craft solutions that are good for society as a whole right. so I think sometimes our laws don't look to the individual mm-hmm. they just try to create a um, a blanket solution right. and blanket solutions don't always matter it's really important to take every single case individually one at a time because right. I bet you every DUI case I heard Tuesday was different the facts were the person was drinking for who knows what reason mm-hmm. and um, just like aggravated robbery cases I mean there's I don't think there's that many bad people in the world right. I think it's a small 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 fraction Nashville is growing hundred people I think a day is <laughs> moving here mm-hmm. uh, more people I think probably comes with more people showing up in court <laughs> possibly <laughs> um, what do you see that uh, going forward with the net with the with the growth of Nashville what do you see our criminal legal system needing so I think definitely they need resources right I think it's um, more people doesn't mean more crime okay but more people could mean maybe some of those need more resources. Mm. Um, We certainly want to give everybody their space and we certainly want to have jobs available um, because if people don't have jobs available and they're bored and they're angry and they're resentful and all the other reasons, they might be tempted to commit an offense that they wouldn't otherwise do that. So give them a place to live affordable, affordable place to live. Yeah. <laughs> give them a living wage mm. give them something to be proud of to go to work every day mm. I mean I get up and go to work every day that keeps me out of trouble most of the time right some people you know they're they're bored and right. they're you know not doing they just aren't focused right they don't have any purpose in life do you see um far as the courtroom do you see any resources that's needed directly in the courtroom whether it's technology um because i'm i'm a a big advocate of community um court watch Mm -hmm. uh personally Mm -hmm. and i would love for more community to participate because i think you get to learn 
a lot about um, what you've kind of explained to us today mm -hmm. um, about what goes on in the courtroom. I think it's more, to me personally, it's more than just, just watching the judge, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's kind of seeing like what has actually happened, routines, what are some of the cases going mm -hmm. through? Um, and then saying, hey, how the, how the judge is kind of handling everything differently. And then possibly even having an opportunity to talk to a judge like, hey, why did you make this decision instead of that decision? Mm -hmm. But um, it would be awesome, I think, if more people can participate in that. But I know, especially in the pandemic and things like that, it's a capacity set. Um, but it would be great with some cases. I know some cases can't be open to everybody, but just, hey, technology is here. No, it'd be wonderful. Um, we, we got a pretty substantial amount of equipment through CARES Act funding. Oh, wow. Okay. So that we could have virtual dockets. Okay. And not keep people just in jail but they right. could actually if they wanted to resolve their case with plea they could right and then our criminal court judges which are the higher court judges they're each assigned their own courtroom so they were able to go to the state and ask for some money to put cameras in their courtroom i think there is one judge who currently allows kind of a court watch remotely okay and then um, with the general sessions courts we rotate we don't have our own courtroom like i'm in one courtroom today and another courtroom next week right. and so it rotates from courtroom to courtroom right. and then you have to figure out who's the person who's gonna man the technology right so you have to ask for a recurring revenue point in the budget so that guy can take care of the equipment right and then there's a continuing like a maintenance contract on the equipment mm -hmm. so it it seems like a simple solution but it's actually because it's so big right. it's a lot more expensive than you would think right and so one judge goes up to the mayor knocks on the door and says hey mayor can i have a camera for the courtroom right then he'd be like well let's look into it <laughs> okay and uh but then what you realize is okay you got to buy the equipment mm -hmm. you got to have the maintenance contract you got to have the guy who runs it right and knows what he's doing right um and you got to build that into your budget mm -hmm. in addition with all the other things you need right like social workers who can actually help place people in housing mm -hmm. so so what do you do right um so if anybody ever wants to come watch court when i'm there even during the pandemic we've got masks we've got hand sanitizer um we've got plastic shields if they want to see a case they mm -hmm. they can just call my assistant and say hey can we come watch this case right. and i will say yes i and i i really encourage any community member in nashville to do that because um i think it's just been a sense of, of just heightened awareness of what's going on mm -hmm. in our criminal legal system here and i think especially since george floyd um just with policing in general mm -hmm. um but you know a lot of it is just what maybe we hear other people experience and go through and see mm -hmm. but i think if we was intentional as community and going and taking the opportunity to do court watch or mm -hmm. just build a relationship with judges mm -hmm. to really know i think that'll go a long way oh yeah i think it's a good idea and i think it's a good idea to have a lot of different court watches like mm -hmm. noah for example mm -hmm. they've sent people to court before and yep. i love having them there because it's you know the grapevine situation where yeah. somebody tells one story but by the time it gets to the eighth person it's, it's a, a whole, whole different di story <laughs> and so somebody might see maybe even my court officers have experienced this they might see one perspective of how a case is folding out mm -hmm. but what they're not seeing 
is the affidavit in the file. Right. They might not be looking at the body language. Right. Um, there, there's a there's a lot of things that go into every single case. Right. There might be one key word that mm-hmm. an attorney has dropped that you get this gut instinct on the bench where mm-hmm. you go, oh, really? <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. And um, so there's a lot of little things. That's why the Sixth Amendment right to confront your accused is so important. Mm-hmm. I really don't want to see a witness on the video. I want that person in the courtroom right. so I can watch everything about their body language. Right. And um, that tells you a lot when someone's testifying. Right. It's really interesting. Yeah, hopefully I don't I don't want to be in any of those positions. <laughs> <laughs> um, the judicial elections are coming up mm-hmm. 2022. Mm-hmm. Um how are you feeling about it? What, what should people know about uh, what to expect from you mm-hmm. going forward? Um, mm-hmm. Just with the future of Nashville mm-hmm. and um, our criminal legal system, our court system, and everything that's happening. Well, I am running for re-election, and I just turned in my petition, qualifying petition, to be on the ballot. And we have 26 days left, and right now I don't have an opponent. Hope it stays that way. <laughs> Had a group of lawyers who went out and raised some money in case I do get an opponent. And uh, I feel really good about the future. I feel optimistic. I feel like there are a lot of well-intentioned people wanting criminal justice to be together. And as long as we collaborate and we talk and we have a lot of different viewpoints, Mm -hmm. things are going to be good going forward. I don't think we can just, like, listen to one person about criminal justice. There might be one person out there beating that drum, stating one issue over and over again, and Mm -hmm. they might not be completely accurate. That's their viewpoint. So give me a room full of people. Um, But I feel like things are good. And, well, let me say this. I think we can always do better. Let me not say they're good, because I'm sure we have a lot of room for improvement always. We can always do better right. when we have more knowledge, more information. And um, But I, I'm optimistic about the future, and I feel like we have a lot of caring people in public service, both private and government, and um, public who want to do the right thing by people. Mm-hmm. And I think there's seems like knowledge is getting out about problems with mental illness and problems with poverty mm-hmm. and I think people are just being more educated and understanding so the community is changing for the better because right. sharing knowledge that's one of the best things about this program is you're sharing knowledge and right. that's huge well I hope I, I learned a lot today um, and I could sit here and talk another hour with you really um, because I think what happens in the court system um, is so important for everyday people to know um, but so we don't have that grapevine kind of experience. Like, oh, they said Joe, Judge Jones did this. And then they say, yeah, Judge Jones threw everybody in the courtroom in jail, right? You just, <laughs> you just never know. But uh, but that's why I encourage, one, people to reach out to our judges, email their assistants, and, you know, some things they can talk about. They can't talk about everything. But at least reach out and try to build that relationship. And I really appreciate you um, talking to us today. Um, and dropping some gems and um, just letting us know your perspective um, on what's going on here and, and the impact that you want to continue to play here in Nashville. So thank you, Judge Jones. Uh, we got to have you back. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm just thrilled for the opportunity to be here. And um, I, I definitely want to encourage people to, to give feedback. They mm-hmm. can talk to my court officer. They can ask questions. Mm-hmm. And um, so I welcome all of it. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm just appreciate the opportunity to talk. Well, thank you. Um, look forward to hearing more from you. 
Um, and if there is an opponent that does come, uh, you got to come on here and talk about how you're going to be, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> what, how you, well, make it make sense for us. Well, so, so yeah, I'm just going <laughs> to continue being thorough, try to mm-hmm. be as fair as I can be. Right. And um, that's all I can do is give it my best. And listen, listen with my heart, mm-hmm. but then rule with my head. There we have it. Judge Jones, thank you. Till next time. Thank you. And then next time we'll get uh, Mr. Smith on here. Okay. Thank you. <laughs>